I almost messed that step. I found something this week. I got to show off to everybody. I showed it to my Wednesday night group. You're going to like this. You're going to like this. Anyone ever see one of these? All right. So I want you to know this is a hillbilly psaltery. And uh, and the thing is, I really thought that was pretty amazing when I uh, take a look at this. It uh, literally allows you to play an instrument. And I thought, how beautiful this thing really is. So uh, I thought, uh, you know, I picked it up at a pawn shop. It needs to be, uh, one little string needs to be attached. And so I'm going to hold the uh, accountability of one of the kids. And I'm going to allow one of the kids to learn how to play this with me. And then we're going to see how it goes. You want to learn? All right. And I'll tell you who's going to be your teacher. She's sitting right there. No. Anyway, so we're going to make sure that everybody gets to learn how to play it. And uh, But anyway, I thought it was beautiful. Uh, just a little bit of history behind a psaltery like this. It's called a string psaltery. Uh, most of us know the biblical psaltery. Well, those were pluck psalteries. Well, the, the bow psaltery was designed to help uh, children learn how to play the piano. So, Nancy, you can learn how to play this thing as well, and it'll help you out as well. <laughs> but I thought that was such a cute instrument. And uh, so, you know, if you want to play it, if you want to try it out, you can. And it actually uses a ho horsehair bow. And uh, imagine the, the length of hair that a horse has to do for that. All right, how many of you all believe, and, I, and we got right here, we got one, two, three, four, uh, five couples that are here. How many of you all believe that your marriage is the best marriage there is? Okay. And all the wives looking at their husbands saying, can I answer up and down yes or that? And uh, vice versa. And it seems how it goes. We're going to take our Bibles. We're going to start with the Psalms of Solomon. Yes, I'm going to be teaching all a little bit about what marriage is all about. And so let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the Psalms of Solomon. And uh, what surprises me, while we're going to Songs of Solomon, we're going to go to chapter 2. What amazes me is how many people do not use the Songs of Solomon from their pulpits. Uh, it is a very, for those of you that have a good imagination, it's a very good book. It's a steamy book. It's a romantic book. It's got everything under the sun that marriages should have. Now, let me point this out to you. How many of you all have ever heard the term rule of thumb? Anyone ever heard that term? The rule of thumb. How many of you all know what rule of thumb means? When I tell you, if you haven't heard of it, it goes back to uh, early America, and actually before that, England, that men, you cannot beat your wife with a stick bigger than the roundness of your thumb. Now, show me in the Bible where that is permitted, and believe it or not, now we will actually turn around, and I, I've heard people say, now the rule of thumb is, the rule of thumb is, and so Dennis, Dennis is like, I never knew that was that, that reason for it, but the reality is, is that we are not allowed to even strike our women. And what is so sad, because we don't know how to treat one another, we have found that there are many times that problems occur because of domination and everything else. I want to read to you from the Psalms of Solomon, chapter 2. We're going to read the entire uh, chapter, and I want you to see how beautiful it is written in these things. So ladies, I want you to do me a favor, close your eyes. And I want to read to you, and I'm going to do my best that we make sure. I am the road.
meadows of Sharon, and the lily of the valleys. As the lily amongst thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under the shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay with me, flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge ye, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor wake my love till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth beyond our wall. He looketh forth through the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines under the tender grape gives a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and the countenance is comely. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bathar. Now, look at me, if you will. It's such sweet words that we see, but how many of you understand what was really being spoken of here? The reality is, someone trying to put into words things that really have a pertaining power. And I know this is that when I talk to women, a lot of times they say, when, before we got married, he was such a sweet communicator. He would talk to me and, and he would tell me his dreams. He would tell me his love. He would tell me all of these different things and now all of that has passed. Okay. And I hear other women or other men and they'll say, she never shuts up. I try to put in a word edgewise and she never says another word. I just, you know, I hear this, yep, 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 yep. And when she goes, did you hear me? I only have one response. Yeah, I heard you. Because if I said no, I'd get a repeat of everything that was just said. Reality is, marriages in America are in trouble. And I am a firm believer that we have not taught our sons and our daughters what to expect in marriage. How many of you all love a good love song? How many of you love it? I mean, we, we listen to the radio, we find a good love song. My, my son, uh, they, my youngest son in particular, Joseph, he said, you know, Dad, the music of the 70s, were, man, those were the best songs. I said, I know they were. And they got a lot of us in trouble. Because the fact is, is that we had every song under the, under the sun that was being played. But how many of our songs do we know of are written to help us to have romantic marriages? And yet from the very beginning, it was God who created the marriage. 
And so if we are to understand, you know, everything about marriage, I want us to take the time today, and I know it's very interesting that I would bring this today, but this was laid heavily up on my heart, so much so that I woke up on a Saturday morning at 3.30 in the morning, and this topic was on my heart. And so I know on Wednesday nights I've been trying to teach everyone the best way to go door knocking and go visiting. And then we're doing eschatology on Sunday morning and then Sunday, what we call our afternoon service. I'm now going to enter into marriage. And I believe the core of strength that is in a church begins with the proper marriages. One of these days, these four that are sitting here, that one that's over there, that one that's over here, they're going to be looking for a mate. And how many of us really find the strength to be able to say to someone, let me help you select your bride? And I know this is that we as parents, a lot of times we're saying our kids are going to make decisions, we're going to let them do their decisions. The hardest part is to tell them no. There was a preacher by the name of A.P. Hill, and I heard, I've only heard a few sermons that he preached. He was a black preacher uh, that was out in California. And Brother A.P. Hill, one of the things that I loved about what he had to say was that in his, in his wife's funeral, he preached the message of his wife's funeral. And he always called her baby. Man, I just pray that I keep this together. And in the middle of the sermon, he stopped and he goes, I want to introduce you to my daughter. He said, there she sits right there. And he, she goes, Men, we ought to select the woman that we have for our children. Make sure that she meet, that, that the woman that is going to be for our sons is the right one, and vice versa. The man that's going to be for the daughter is the right one. He said, there was a man that came to my, my house one day, and he knocked on the door, and he goes, I'm here for your daughter. And he said, I just shut the door. And his daughter come running down, and she goes, was that for me? And he goes, that definitely wasn't for you. That definitely wasn't for you. And she goes, what do you mean? He just laid it on the line. And she looked at him and she goes, you're a chauvinist. He said, I thought about that for a moment. He goes, thank you. And she said, I will never marry a man like you who is chauvinist. He said, I'm the president of the chauvinist club. And my son-in-law is the vice president the man who ended up marrying my daughter. And I thought about that for a moment, that he took it in great order, that he wanted it to be done. And what I'm going to be teaching on today is probably something that none of us have ever heard of before. Maybe we've heard, but we've never really considered it. And I want to challenge you so that we're coming up on the month of February, and a few weeks will be Valentine's Day. And by the time Valentine's Day rolls around, we have just the most lovey-dovey bunch of people you've ever met. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, I want to thank you for your goodness, and I pray that you will guide us today as we study together. I pray, Father, that in everything that we do, that you will guide us, and that you will bless, and that you will keep us. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you, and lead as you see fit in the messages that we have this morning. So guide us today, use us as you see fit, for it's in Christ we pray, and amen. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. So the next slide that we see, we're going to be talking about a couple of things that are going to be here for us to vision. Number one, we want to look at romance. What does it mean to be romantic? 
Now, romantic doesn't mean that you have milk and honey flowing out of your lips all the time, and that everything you say, she's just going to go, oh, that's wonderful, or that he turns around and goes, oh, my, 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 my sweetheart, she's just something else. Instead, when we take a look at the, the messages that someone brings forward, we need to understand the complication of marriage. Do you realize, and ladies, let me say this about men. Men are different from you from every way under the sun. Many years ago, I was asked to preach a sermon in North Carolina during a Bible conference. And the subject that the pastor gave me, he said, learning to live a Christian life in this, in this pornography age. And I thought, why in the world would you have me preach on that? And I told one of the ladies, I am really doing a lot of research to try to get that. She thought I was watching pornography in order to get my message down. I said, I don't have to watch pornography. I said, the reality is, is I want to bring it right. And in reality, I, I ended up preaching to both men and women. And do you realize, when we're younger, we always put the face forward. We always wanted to look right. I mean, never were we ever late. I guarantee you, ladies, that when the man that wanted to marry you came into the picture, he looked at you, and if he said he was going to be there at 5 o'clock, he was there at a quarter till. He would spend his last dime, if he could, to take you out to dinner unless he didn't have any money, like me. And the reality is he did everything in his power to impress you on how good that marriage was going to be. He communicated with you. He was wonderful with you. I mean, he had the sweetest kisses. I mean, everything was just wonderful. Now, now Garrett, settle down. Anyway, so the reality is, is that everything was just absolutely wonderful. Everything was beautiful. What happens after the marriage? Well... Do you realize your husband was hunting you? Your husband is a hunter-gatherer. How many of you men have a deer head on your wall? I know Greg does. I know Dennis does. Do you have one, brother? Uh, how many deer heads do you have on your wall? Three or four, okay. Dennis, I know you got three or four. Greg, I know you got a whole bunch. And the reality is, is that and if you go up to that man and you say, tell me about those deer heads, he can look at that deer head and say, I will tell you, he was out on a lovely mission one night. We were out there, and lo and behold, that deer began to come closer and closer to me. And he will tell you every bit of the story of that deer. Not how hard it was to drag it out or to gut it or anything else, but he will tell you every bit of that deer. Well, after a period of time, that deer will hang on the wall, and it begins to fade in its glory. You want the next deer. You want to capture the next one. You want not only food, but you want to have that next deer. And the reality is, is that the luster of that beautiful deer is there. But every now and then, someone will come up and they'll go, man, that is a beautiful deer. And you go right back in that story. It was a dark and gloomy night. I began to hunt down this deer. I mean, he will go into the full detail of that deer, remembering every detail of that story. Men, we do that with our wives. We take our wives and we go, and we really want to hunt her down. I mean, the first time we met the one that we were going to marry, we thought, man, she's pretty. There's something beautiful about her. Now, understand, both of you are selling each other a bit of goods. Women would always adorn themselves, fix their hair, put the makeup on. I like what one preacher said, if that barn needs painted, you ought to paint it. But the reality is, is that he would put on the makeup, you know, the, the beauty and everything else, keep everything down straight. 
And so the two of you come together, the communication. You, are you paying attention here? Yeah, I want you to pay attention, Gracie. Got to make sure you get this. They were looking at every little detail, and when the detail finally came down to where it began to wear older and older, the dust began to settle on the deer head. Do you know what's happened to a lot of our marriages? We've not become romantic. We've lost the favor. And we've taught, we haven't taught our children what should be the responsibility of romanticizing in America today, or even in our churches. Next slide, please. And the next slide that we take a look at, notice that we begin to see this man. How many of you have ever heard of Brother, or Brother John Brainyard, Br Brannon? He does a, a comedy sketch about literally how we have failed in our communications. He said, Shakespeare, in the days that Shakespeare lived upon the earth, he had a vocabulary of no less than 15,000 words. When Charles Spurgeon walked upon the earth, he had about the same level of vocabulary. Most preachers will have a vocabulary today of about 7,500 words, me included. That is a constant use vocabulary. If you ever read Charles Spurgeon, how many of you find that you have a dictionary in one hand and you try to read Spurgeon with the other? If you want to understand that he was using the common language of the people in the 1850s, what's happened? And now, listen, <laughs> I, I listened to uh, another comedian the other day, and he said, he's, he said, that the music that is being played today, we're going to go like, what? What? Where, where, where did that come from? And it's nothing but obtaining the desire of someone's physicalness in our lives. And where we used to hide it in words, we no longer hide it, we say it in feelings. One of the things that John Brandon put, <clears throat> he made this statement, I thought it was very interesting, let me see if I can find it here. One of the things that he pointed out, let me see if I find it here, I want to make sure I don't misquote him. Um, he made this statement, where did I find that? He called one of the angels over. And he said, when he called one of the angels over, this is being God, he looked at the angel and he goes, I want to tell you that I'm going to create two individuals that have two completely different sensitivities, have two completely, mis two completely different understandings, two total different ways of communicating, and then I'm going to put them together and they've got to live together for the rest of their lives. And when I began to hear that, I thought, how true that is. Men communicate on a physical level. And ladies will always communicate on an emotional level. It is stated by the next man, and I want you to see this one. This is Mr. Mark Gungor. He's another. I've actually had miss, miss going to Mark Gungor's presentation. Uh, one of the great, if you want to go to YouTube and you can look up these individuals, you will laugh your head off. But they pointed out, it was uh, Gary Chapman and then later on Mark Gungor that I began to study a lot about. And what I found out with Mark Gungor is that he tried to analyze everyone very closely. And when we begin to see the failures of marriages is the way that men think versus the way that women think. Men think that I push this button and I get this reaction. Women say, that button worked yesterday, that button doesn't work today, you've got to do something else to make it different today. 
And because men think of one way, that's what we're going to keep repeating over and over and over again. When I read, when I listen to Mark Gungor, he has a he has a, uh, a tremendous series. It's called "Laugh Yourself to a Better Marriage," and he brings in couples from all over the world, and he goes into seminars. And one of the later seminars, here was this guy, and he was sitting down, and he was like, "This is a complete waste of my time." Ladies, if you're going to take your husband to a seminar, you better know who your husband is or your husband's not going to be interested in it. The lady, on the other hand, may sit, turn around and say, I, want, I just want a better marriage. You know, Can you make my marriage alive? Can you make it sweeter? Can you make it better? Well, guys, let me just point this out to you. Women are not like us, and we are not like women. I want to show you something that's very interesting. Turn with me to First, uh, first Peter. First Peter, chapter 3. And let's go down to verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3. Matter of fact, the thing is beautiful. Let's go to verse 6. Look what it says here. And show you how difficult this is. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. <laughs> when was the last time, ladies, you called your husband Lord? That ain't going to happen. But do you realize, by the way, how many of y'all knew that Mary Lincoln never called Abraham my husband or darling? She always called him Mr. Lincoln. How many of y'all knew that? Sure did. But Sarah had such respect for her brother, who was her husband, Abraham, that she called him Lord, whose daughters you are, and whom you do well, and not afraid with any amazement. But watch this next verse. And this is the one that really makes me wonder. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the one to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together for the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Notice the last part, that your prayers be not hindered. How many of us have ever tried to pray after having an argument with our spouse? I don't care, husbands and wives, both ways. If you have tried to pray after you've had an argument or a fight with your spouse, it's not going to work. And yet the reality is, is that when we, as men, are required to give an understanding to our wives, that means we have to be students of our wives. One of the things that I found that was interesting is that the particular character of wives, and, and you know, there's so many tests that I've taken in my, my time frame. Uh, you know, we, we see Dr. Gary Chapman. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Gary Chapman? Matter of fact, in the next slide shows two books that I want you all to always consider. The first one is called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. And the thing is, Dr. Gary Chapman, notice written by a man, tries to make it as simple as possible. And what he says is that well, we all have about five basic needs that we all look at. How many of you have ever taken the five love languages test? If you've never taken it, go home and take it again. You'll be surprised how much it'll change. For me, physical touch, that is not sexual touch, is one of the most important areas. It is said of a person who has physical touch that there's the requirement that is there, was probably held a great amount when they were babies. And they were shown extreme love. 
My second one is called quality time, which means I love having that quality time with a woman. You know, if that woman doesn't have time for me, I really don't have time for her. And then there's also, those are the two that I remember right now, but there's words of affirmation. There's also the receiving or giving of gifts, and also the gift giver or the doer of, the, of a relationship. Well, that is the simple way to put it. There is no way that I can make a simple statement and say that everybody falls into those five categories. Because for me, receiving of a gift doesn't mean that much unless it's the right gift. The right gift. It isn't necessarily, and by the way, if you give a man, ladies, if you give men clothes, it doesn't mean that much to them. Men like toys. I, I could give you an example of that, but I'm, I'm not going to waste my time doing it right now. But here's the reality. Women need understanding from their husbands. And when they don't get it, men have shown their selfishness in the longest run. And let me put it this way. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not really showing your relationship in the right way, you are going to be that failure in the area. Let me show you another one. And by the way, notice that the other book that I have up there is called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And the thing that I found that was very interesting about this is that, once again, we don't even know how to communicate. But look at Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to understand the words that are there. Genesis, I said chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife. And by the way, that word knew, N-E-W, is yada. How many of you ever heard the term yada, yada, yada? Well, where it comes from is that word, knew. I know, I know, I know. But when it says that Adam knew, it is followed by another little sneaky vowel, which means he possessed what he knew. And it says, and Adam possessed, or he knew his wife, and she bare, and she conceived and bare Cain. In other words, the relationship that was there. And have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Two sons. Two completely different individuals. And if you ever studied Cain, let me just tell you a little bit about Cain's life. Cain was an individual that he was, this is the way it's going to be. I want it this way, no other way, and this is the way it's going to be. Abel, on the other hand, was more sensitive. He seemed to be the one that says, all right, Lord, what do you want from me? I cannot put enough emphasis upon two individuals to understand them. But, you know, the sad part is, we don't see any other mention of even this. But I want to show you something that really amazes me about how we as men don't really want to know our wives the way we should. Watch this. Turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter 1. The book of Esther, chapter 1. And the first time that I read this, I just read over it and read over it until I finally got the reason why this was there. And in Esther chapter 1, go down to verse 16, and notice what happens with these men. And Mimukan answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to the princes and to all the people that are in the provinces of kings Ahasuerus. Now watch this. 
do you realize that there was wrongdoing in the palace? These men were so afraid that their wives were going to turn against them because of Vashti, or Vashti, that they turned around and they said, Oh, king, you can't let this go on. If Vashti can turn around and say to you, I'm not coming to your, your, you know, the dance before your drunken princes, you know, you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm not going to do it. That Mamukan said, well, if we allow... So... when I do counseling is that women are to a part where they already despise their husbands. Let me just show you a little bit of what happens when I normally get counseling. Well, he always... I don't know what this is. When I try to do something for him, he always... He doesn't like that. He's never romantic. He never does this. How did you get to that place? His eyes are on somebody else. So you never have anyone that ever talks to you ahead of time. And the reality is, I can do everything under my power to try to make someone say, look, just be real with each other. Just be real with each other. See each other for who you really are in your marriage. And that way when the counseling occurs, you can turn around and instead of despising each other, you really love each other. Look what it says. These women will despise us. Let me go on down to verse 17 again. For the seed of the queen shall abroad with all the women so that they shall despise their husbands and their eyes when it shall be reported and the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him. But she came not. Let me get my pages unraveled here. Likewise shall all this day to the king's princes, which have heard the deed of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. The love between a husband and wife, and, and, and I've had the pleasure of, of observing you all, and praise God we are there, but you know what's really sad? Most of us say, well, you know, nothing's changed. We've been married a long time, 25, 30, 40 years. We've been married a long time. But does that, should that be the end of romance? And the reality is, is that when you get to a place that you no longer have romance in your heart for the person that is before you, then you've got a problem. And I feel for our young ladies today. I feel for our young men because we are hoping and praying that God will send the right woman for our men and the right man for our women. Am I right? We can teach our children romance. We can teach them all the things that are there. I, I've been a student for many, many years. And yet I learned one thing quickly. I cannot change the person before me. Notice what these men did. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, 
that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more in before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Remember this, Vashti was beautiful. She was alarmingly beautiful. And so the decree was, go find somebody better than her. Well, a little bit later, we would find that Ahasuerus was really upset with these princes because he said, you chased off Vashti. I was the one. Now, we know it was all by the divine grace of God. But how sad it is that we see that. If I can take these next few weeks, I want to show you all what it means to see real, real love. I want to show you one that I just always tickled me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26. Maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 26. And let's go down to verse 8. And it says, And it came to pass, when they had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. No doubt they were playing football. And he said, Ready, set, hut, hut, hut. And she ran out for the pass, and he goes, You know, that, that seemed, no, we know what the word sporting means. It wasn't something that should have occurred between a man and his sister. Reality was is that there was something that Abimelech said and went, that's not a brother and sister responding. That's a husband and wife responding. There's going to be little things like this. How many of you all miss each other when you're away from each other? Or how many of you really say, I'm glad he's gone? Here's another one. How many of you all can read the book of Ruth and not fall in love with Boaz? What about Jonathan and Michael? How many of you all realize that Jonathan loved Michael with such an everlasting love that he could not get over that love? Believe it or not, romance is signaled throughout the entire Bible, including the rapture and the coming of the Lord. So we're going to be taking the next few weeks, Lord's willing, and we're going to be talking about what it means to be married in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will bless and that you will help us in all that we say and do. Guide us and lead us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Randy, if you'll come forward now and dismiss us in service.